Philippians chapter 3. As you turn to Philippians chapter 3, I notice that today is January the 10th. We are 10 days into a new year. And many of us use the turning the page of the calendar to a new year to reflect on where we've been, to evaluate where we are, to set goals and look forward to where we would like to be. Some folks make New Year's resolutions. Other folks are hesitant to do that because they don't want to label it in that way. But I think it's a good exercise for us to do, to think physically, how, how can I be better? Maybe I need to lose weight. Maybe I need to gain weight. Maybe I need to exercise more. Maybe I need to eat better. We do it financially, too, right? We think maybe we want to get out of debt or to budget better or to save more and spend less. We do it occupationally. We think, I want to get better at my job. and We evaluate how we are now and how we can get better. Maybe we want to get a new job or start a new business. We do it relationally as we think about spending more time with family or friends or how we're doing as a parent or a spouse and how we can do better. And so I think it's good to reflect and to evaluate and to plan to do better as we move forward. And I mention that because here in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul does that. What we're going to see him do here is he will reflect on his past and things that he's accomplished, and then he will evaluate things in his present, and then he will look to the future and talk about how he wants to do it, what he wants his future to look like. And so I want to show you that that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Philippians chapter 3, and then I want us to take a few minutes to do that today, uh, because the Scripture is going to invite us to do that, and so I hope to show you that as well. And so we'll take some time to reflect and evaluate, and then think about what we want things to look like going forward from a spiritual standpoint. So if you would now give your attention to the reading of God's Word in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to get in verse 4, and I'll read through verses 14. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Hear now God's Word. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may be that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to, to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal and the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving these words expressed by the Apostle Paul. And I pray that you would use these words now as we see Paul reflect on his past and evaluate where he was in that moment and to look forward to what you would have him to do and to be moving forward. I pray that you would use the scripture to do that in our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We pray that you would come and that you would help us to, to reflect accurately and to evaluate truly. And I pray that we would walk away with practical things that we want to do in a different way. And Father, I pray that you'd be willing to do all this, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul, who wrote these words that we were hearing, was an extraordinary man. He was brilliant. He had received the finest education you could receive in this day. He was fluent in multiple languages. He could read, write, and speak at least three languages. Just a brilliant man. He wrote 13 of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament. So he wrote about half of the New Testament. And his ideas as a, as a theologian, as a philosopher, as a thinker, have influenced thought around the world for 2,000 years. He's an extraordinary man. And as we read in verses 4 through 6, basically what he is presenting is his resume. He's saying, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, he's saying, if you think you have any reason to trust in yourself, he says, I have more reason." I've got a better resume than you. I have more reasons to put confidence in myself than you have to put confidence in yourself. And then he lists out this resume. We could go line by line, and I love doing that kind of thing, and I would do it, but I would get bogged down, and I don't want to get lost in this. Just know that his resume, that it's impressive for the day, that it shows social success in his day. It shows educational success in his day. It shows career success in his day. It's an impressive resume that he goes through. And he presents these things. But after he does so, of all those things that Paul had, did you hear what he said is the most important thing? As he reflected on where he had been and what he had accomplished and what he had done, what gifts and abilities he had, do you hear his evaluation of those things? He starts that evaluation in verse 7. Look at that with me. Paul says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Do you hear the evaluation? He's talking in terms of profit and loss. He's talking in terms of, we might say, pros and cons and pluses and minuses. So he's evaluating what he's accomplished and what he wants to accomplish. So he's, he's reflected on his past and what he's achieved. And now he's evaluating things. And look at his evaluation. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Let's unpack that verse 8 here for a moment. He says, I consider everything else, all those things that he lists before, all those achievements, all those accomplishments, all those things that he had. Paul says, 
says, they were on the profit line. I didn't have them in the pluses and the pros, but I moved them to the cons, to the minuses. Right? I moved it over and count them as lost compared to what? What is it that's in the plus column? What is this the greatest thing? You see, he says it there. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He says the greatest thing is knowing Christ. Notice that it's a personal relationship. He says knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's a personal thing for him. To the point that he doesn't even put confidence in himself or in his own ability to be good. But his confidence is in Christ's righteousness. That righteousness that God gives to us that we sing about, that we stand before the throne in his righteousness. It's a personal relationship. And look how he describes it. My translation says the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. If you have the old King James Version, it says the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus. If you have the New American Standard, it says the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. The ESV says surpassing Word. Whenever you see different translations like this, you get the sense that it's hard to, to capture in English what this word is. And it's hard to capture because Paul is talking in extreme language. He's saying this is the greatest thing ever. There is nothing better. Nothing has more value. Nothing has more worth than knowing Christ Jesus. In fact, it's so good. These things that are okay in and of themselves are good. His educational success, his social success, his population, his, his popularity, his notoriety, that those things are, he says, in comparison, rubbish. It's interesting, rubbish. It kind of sounds like British to me, like that's something Mary Poppins would say. It's rubbish. If you have the NIV, the new one that says garbage, that's getting closer to the sense of the word. I consider them garbage compared to knowing Christ. If you have the old King James Version, it actually says, I consider them to be dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's getting even closer. The Greek word there is actually a word for human excrement. Let that sink in. Paul is using some strong, earthy kinds of language. And in the strongest way possible, He's saying even good things, all these things that the world desires, that, that they're like garbage, rubbish, dumb compared with knowing Christ Jesus. That's the evaluation that he's going through. Do you see that? Do you, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that knowing Jesus is the greatest possible, and it's not even close. By a long shot, knowing Christ Jesus personally as my Lord is the most important thing. Let me just stop there and ask you. Do you evaluate knowing Christ in that way? Do you assign it that kind of value? There are many of us who may profess that or aspire to that, but with our life and our actions, we don't live that way. And for many of us, we may not even profess this, that it's that important. We may not even say, we may not even aspire to that. If knowing Christ is not the greatest thing to you, then what is? Reflect on that. Think about that. Evaluate it compared to knowing Christ. 
God says that should be the most important thing to us. Paul says it here, but God calls all of his people to that. Jeremiah chapter 9, this will be our benediction today. But in Jeremiah chapter 9, we're told this is what the Lord says. So God is talking to his people and he says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom. This word boast means to glory in, to trust in. As Paul says in Philippians, to put our confidence in. And he said, God is saying, look, let not the wise put their confidence in their wisdom. Or the strong boast of their strength. Or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this. That they understand and know me. God says that knowing him is the most important thing. Paul says it is by a long shot that all of the things are, are garbage compared to that. Paul is saying in this text, when he reflects on where he's been, when he's evaluating things in his presence, this is what he's saying to us. He's saying, he said, listen, I've had all the things that you are striving for. I've had social success. I've had educational success. I've had career success. I've had leadership success. He led a movement. He, he said that he had popularity. He had notoriety. He had financial security, or at least the prospects of it. Paul is saying, I had all those things that you are striving for, and there is no comparison. That those things are garbage compared to knowing Christ. Wow. If knowing Jesus more, if knowing Jesus better is not the most important thing to us, then I question whether we even know him at all. And I do so because if we have seen his, his power and his glory, if we've seen that, that even though he has all power and all glory, that he was willing to give those things up for us, to come to the earth, to be misunderstood, to be mistreated, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died in our place. That while we were sinners, while we were replaced, while we were wandering from the fold of God, as we say, he was willing to die for us so that we could be in God's family. When we see that, and even begin to know that a little bit, and we see that knowing him is the most important be honest, I fear that many who profess faith in Christ, I fear that many who attend church regularly just see faith in Jesus as a means to some other end. That if getting to know Jesus will make me a better person, if getting to know Jesus makes me a better parent, if getting to know Jesus makes me a better boss, if getting to know Jesus makes me a better student, if getting to know Jesus will make me more rich, if getting to know Jesus makes me more, prof more profitable, more prosperous, that I'm interested in getting to know Jesus. And I fear that we see faith in Jesus as a means to some other end. Instead of the very purpose of life itself, that everything else revolves around. At this point in time, when Paul writes this, he had known Jesus for two or three decades. And all Paul wanted to know was, he wanted to know Jesus more. He wanted to know Jesus better than he already knew him. 
Think about that. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, listen, don't think you have explored the depths of the goodness and the greatness of Christ Jesus. We don't move past knowledge of Jesus to something else that's better. There's not something deeper. There's not something more in the Christian life. There's nothing greater than knowing Christ Jesus and learning to love him and serve him more and more. Now, if that is true, and, and that is what Paul says, that knowing Christ is the greatest thing, everything else is garbage in compared to that is what he's saying. If that's true, if knowing Jesus is the greatest thing, then what is Paul planning to do moving forward? He's reflecting on where he's been. He's evaluating what's most important. What is he going to do about it moving forward if knowing Christ Jesus is the most important thing? Look at it with me in verses 12 to 14. What does Paul do with this knowledge? It's instructive for us. Beginning in verse 12, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind it and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How does Paul respond? What does he want to do in the future? What's his plan? Where's he going? Twice he says, I, I press on. It's a word usually associated with hunting. It means to pursue. It means to chase. I don't mean the, the kind of hunting where you just sit in a deer stand and you wait on the deer to come be like we do. I'm talking about tracking something down. I'm talking about educating yourself, pursuing it, chasing it. In fact, he uses the same word in verse 6. Look up in verse 6. What does he say? When he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, that's the same word. Paul didn't just sit back and wait on the church to come to him. He was persecuting the church. He was chasing after the church. He was tracking them down in other cities. He was pursuing them and chasing them. He had a plan for it. He was very intentional about it. He was almost, he says later, he was obsessed with persecuting the church. That's this word press when it's a hunting word. And he also uses this phrase, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on to the goal to win the prize. The imagery here is, is track, is running a race. That he's pushing himself to win the prize. That he's straining toward what is ahead. Paul's not just taking a stroll in the park, right? He's really pushing himself. So what's he saying? Do you see the flow of thought? Here are the two big ideas in the passage. He's saying, knowing Jesus is the most important thing. Everything else is garbage compared to that. It is the supreme value is knowing Christ. And so if that is true, then I'm all in going after that. That's what he's saying. I'm all about that. I'm pushing myself toward that. That's the flow of Paul. If Jesus is the best thing ever, then I'm going to press on. I'm going to strain. I'm going to go after knowing him more and more deeply and knowing him better. Now, if your heart is anything like mine, the 
the temptation is to think, well, Paul is an extraordinary man. That's the first thing you said after the prayer, right? He's some kind of super Christian. So, of course, he had these kinds of priorities. He just has an exceptional desire for Christ. And sometimes we think that way to let ourselves off the hook. Listen to me. God, in his wisdom and grace and mercy, anticipates that. And three times in the text, he will not let our hearts go there if we're honest with ourselves and we let the text speak to us. Look at the very next verse. He's just said, I press on to win the prize which God has called me to come Christ Jesus. Verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Paul said, uh-uh. Don't think that, you, that, that you're free of this. This is something just for me. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Now think about what that means. That means if that is not your view of things, if you don't think that knowing Christ is the greatest thing ever, and so you are all in pursuing him, if you profess to be a Christian, what Paul is saying is, if you don't agree knowing Christ is the greatest thing and you're not pushing and straining to know him more, that's the sign of your immaturity. That's what he's saying. He said that's an immature view. You're a baby Christian. That somebody who's mature in Christ is going to have this kind of view that knowing him has supreme value and I'm going to order things so that I'm pressing, I'm straining, I'm pursuing, I'm chasing, I'm all in on knowing him. That's what he says next. All of us should take this view of things. And look what he says in verse 17, just two verses later. He says, join with others in following my example. Do you see this pressing, this straining is not something that we do alone? He's saying, hey, give us some other people who have that view and join together. He says, join with others and follow my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. This is how Paul was calling us to live. And he's saying in verse 17, look, get around some other people who view getting to know Jesus as the most important thing and are pressing and straining and pursuing it. Get around some other people like that. Take note of what they do. That that's a way that we can pursue Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 9, it's on the same page for me. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, and we just saw it in him. He just wrote about it. He just told us about it. So he knows we know these things. We just saw those things. And he says, whatever you have seen in me, put into practice. Oh, that's so convicting for me. Put it into practice. It's convicting for me because as a pastor, I fear that we come here and that we talk about spiritual things, but then we leave here and we don't put them into practice. It doesn't really make a real difference in our lives. We come here and we talk about spiritual things. We even hear about someone else's experience of knowing Christ Jesus, and we're moved by that emotionally. And somehow by hearing about somebody else's experience and being moved by that, it's almost like we think we've had that experience too. Listen, hearing about somebody else's experience of knowing Christ is not you knowing Christ. It's not the same thing. 
And I was so convicted this week that we do this, that I preach, that we teach, that we that we feel good and reminded of what's true. We don't take time to put things into practice. I think of James who says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. So we're going to try to put some things into practice. Here's what we're going to do. A little different today. All right? Here's what we're going to do. I know usually I pray, then we sing, and then we all leave. That's what we're all used to. Okay, we're doing something a little different. What I want to do is I want to reflect on what we've talked about some, and then I want to pray for us. I want to pray for your heart. I want to pray for mine that we would know Jesus better, that we would have a desire, that we would see knowing him as the most valuable thing, all right? But after we have that reflection and I pray for us, that's not the end. We're not going to sing and lead after that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how to put these things. Practically, what does that look like? If knowing him is the most important thing, what are we going to do about that? So I'm going to talk a little bit after that, and then I'll pray, and we'll have a little bit of time for reflection, and then we'll sing and go. Okay? So a little different. Two prayers, two times of reflection, then we'll go. Listen, we've already done this once. You're not going to be here all night, all right? We've done this before. There's another event scheduled in this room later on. So just take a minute to do this with me. Reflection one, do you see knowing Jesus more or better as the most important thing, the supreme thing? And what I want to guide our reflection right now is that psalm I told you that I didn't use for the call to worship, Psalm 63. David, a man after God's own heart, is, is in the wilderness wandering. And, and he's there for various and sundry reasons I won't go into. But listen to what he says in Psalm 63. David says, oh God, you are my God. There's that personal relationship. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. How do you respond when you hear that? I don't know about you, but I hear Paul saying, knowing Christ is the supreme thing. I, I hear David aching, yearning to know God better. I'm honest. I'm just like, I, I don't feel that way. That's not where I am. We've got to confess that to God and ask him to change our heart. And we're going to take a moment to do that. But look at how David got to this place. He has this yearning. How did he do that? Verse 2, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as you. I will lift my hands in your name. My soul will be satisfied with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. It's because he had beheld, that means he's seen the power and the glory and the steadfast love of God. Because he had seen those things, he yearned for more. He ached for more. That's how we get to that place. It's by getting just a taste, by seeing a little bit of who Christ is, then we want more. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for our hearts that God would give us a greater desire. Then I'm going to give you just a moment to pray as well. I don't want to send you, I'm going to give you a chance to do business with God right here, right now. Okay? So I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to give you a minute to pray. And then we'll have one more thing and we'll go. Let me pray for you. 
pray for us, for our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we see these great men, people who are broken and messed up just like we are, we see their longing and their yearning for you, and if we're honest, Father, we don't long to know you like that. We don't ache for you. We don't yearn for you like our brother David, like our brother Paul. Would you please come work in our heart and give us that kind of desire? Would you give us that kind of hunger? This Psalm 63 we looked at says that that comes when we see your power, when we see your glory, when we taste your, your steadfast love for us. So I just pray for my heart. I pray for my friends that are gathered here. Father, move in such a way that we see your power, that we see your glory, that we taste your love for us. Give us just a little bit. Give us just a glimpse so that we might hunger and thirst more for those things. Father, hear us now in the quietness of this time as we silently confess to you and cry out to you to move in our hearts. Hear us now. In Jesus' name, amen. That was reflection one. We just saw in God's word that knowing Christ is the supreme thing. We confess we don't have that kind of yearning and desire for him. We've asked God to work in our heart to give us that kind of hunger, that kind of desire. Reflection one. Reflection two, remember Paul's flow of thought. He said, knowing Christ is the most important thing. So what are you going to do about that moving forward? Paul says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to press on. I'm going to strain. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to chase after knowing him more, knowing him more deeply. So let us think about that for a moment. What are we going to do moving forward? If that's the greatest thing, how are we going to respond? How are we going to, as, as Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 9, how are we going to put it into practice what we've seen in him? Well, I will just tell you that after years of thinking about this question as a leadership here at Redeemer Church, we have worked hard to think about how to lead people in this process. How do you learn to know Jesus better? How do you learn to walk more closely with him? And what we've done is we have set out what we call a clear and accessible path to help people know Jesus. If you've been here before, you've probably heard us talk about path. Those four letters stand for something, because it helps us to remember how we get to know Jesus better. And those four things are this. P, that we're going to pray and be in the Word every day. That's important. We said, in order to have a relationship with any person, 
that you don't have a real relationship with them, if you don't talk to them regularly, if you don't listen to them talk to you, if you don't do those things, you don't have a relationship with somebody. And so having a relationship with God is no different. We want to pray every day. We want to read the scripture. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Find a devotional book. Get an app on your phone that helps you to read through the Bible. I only read through the New Testament every year. It's shorter readings. I encourage you to do something like that. But that's the first thing. Pray and be in the Word every day. Second, attend on Sunday. Attend on Sunday. God causes people to gather together. Acts, that's the pattern we see in Acts chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 10. We're called to let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, how we can let us not neglect meeting together, that there's something about coming together like we've done today to remind ourselves what is true, to reorient our thinking, to be reminded of what's true, to be reminded of what's more important, to sing with our hearts so that we can remember what it is that's most important, so that we can evaluate things accurately. So that we can encourage one another to walk in these ways. I encourage you to attend on Sunday. T, take time to be in some kind of a small group. You heard me say at the beginning, we have community groups beginning January 24th. We generally meet together, we fellowship with one another, we hear what's going on in each other's lives, we pray for one another, we discuss the sermon. And that helps us to apply the truths that we hear in the sermon. It helps us to put those things into practice. As we see how other people are processing them. It's what Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 17 where he says, get around some other people who are doing this. Look and see how they do it. And the way we do it here is we take time to be in some kind of a small group. Community groups, Sunday nights at 5.30, Wednesday nights at 5.30. Or we have Wednesday, we have Tuesday morning women's studies, a Wednesday night women's study, a Wednesday night men's study. I would encourage you to get into some kind of a small group. Then the ages have a personal ministry. And if you're already doing all these things, if you're saying, yes, God, I've heard Pat before. I'm praying and I'm reading the Bible most days, if not every day. I attend most Sundays. I'm taking time to be in some kind of a small group. Then I would call you to age to have a personal ministry. If you're doing these things already, maybe the next step for you is to lead a community group. Or to host one in your home and to help follow up with the people who come there. Maybe the next step for you is to help lead the Tuesday morning women's study or the Wednesday night men's study. If you're interested in doing any of those things, you can email me, scott at redeemershoals.com. I'd love to have you contact me if you feel led to do that. And listen, I'm just throwing out opportunities that we have here at our church. This may not be the church for you. Get plugged in somewhere. Find some way, find some group of people that you can get around and get to know Christ there because it's the most important thing. That's just what we have here. I'm always hesitant to advertise our stuff because I feel like I'm some salesman trying to sell you one of everything I've got. Please know that is not what I'm doing. It's just that we design these things and we structure these things and we come up with these things because we want to help people learn to get to know Jesus better, to learn to walk with him better, and that's why we offer them, and that's why I tell you about them. But I do know this. Knowing him is the greatest thing, the ultimate value. So I'm going to pray for us, and I want to give you just a minute to think about right now, before we go, while you have time, before you get on to the next thing, to think about what it is you're going to do in the new year. To be a better person, not just physically or financially or occupationally or relationally, but what you're going to do spiritually. 
So we pray for us. I'll give you a minute in a few uh, in a few minutes after we have some time to reflect. Josh will lead us in that closing song. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. This is not just something that we talk about. It's not just something we believe. It's not something we just confess with our mouths. But thank you that we put these things into practice. I just pray these truths would, would change the way we do our lives. I pray for the people that are gathered here. Whether they get involved in these programs that we have or whether they find something else, I just pray Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in their hearts now, that you would help us all to think about what are we going to do going forward? If knowing Jesus is the most important thing, how can we pursue him? How can we press on towards him? How can we push ourselves to strain forward to know him better? Father, I pray that you would lead us now to what you would have us to do, that you would, would speak to our hearts now and show us what you would have us to do to put these things into practice. 